As our kids are making their way to Children's Church, uh, to my right, your left, I invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, take them out, turn them on, um, do what you've got to do, and join me, if you will, in the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is in the New Testament. On, in my Bible, it's page 1,494. That doesn't mean anything to you, but kind of gives you a, an idea of where you need to be heading in your Bible as we are uh, gathering together this morning, studying God's Word together, and we are launching into uh, a new uh, sermon series. So if you're our guest, you picked a great uh, time to join us as we're right here at the beginning uh, of something new in the life of our church. And I'm so grateful to Pastor Mike for the song that he just sang because uh, it's the bold declaration that we're not going to bow down to the gods of men, uh, but we are going to focus completely and totally on uh, the God of, of Israel, uh, of God uh, over heaven. And that might sound difficult for us uh, to understand, to think about, but the truth of the matter is uh, we all have a tendency to look to things that are other than God or less than God in our world. Uh, we try to find something that allows us, gives us significance, gives us status, gives us position, uh, and all of those things are things that we have a tendency to worship instead of God. And I bet you I can prove it to you, because I bet you that some of you in this room, you have a photograph of you in high school that you wish was burned, because you can remember doing something back then in order to make sure that you fit in with what was around you, whether it was a hairstyle or a clothing style or something else that at this point in your life, you're kind of maybe a little bit ashamed of and embarrassed of. When I was in middle school, there was something called, there's a brand of jeans called Jinkos. And if you don't have a clue what Jinko jeans are, imagine the exact opposite of skinny jeans, and that's a Jinko. It was ultra-wide pant-legged jeans with pockets that ran down the back of your leg almost all the way to the, to the behind your kneecap. And it was just all the rage when I was in middle school from all of the, the skateboarding kids and everybody else, but it was the style that was there, and it seemed like all of my friends had these 80, I mean, and in the 90s, $85, $95, $100 jeans, you know, it's kind of common, I think, now as you look around, but back then, it was completely outrageous. And I begged my mom, I begged her, please, can I have a pair of these jeans? Because everybody that I know has a pair of these jeans, and I, I want some. And so finally, my mom caved, and she wouldn't buy me the $100 Jinkos, so she bought me Lee's um, knockoff of it, Lee's jeans, and it was their pipes, is what they were called. And she bought me those, and I went to school the next day just, just full of myself. I knew that I was going to be cool, and I was going to, uh, my friends were going to notice, and I got there, and guess what? Nobody cared. And I found in that moment right then and right there that I actually felt more self-conscious then than I did without them. And the truth of the matter is, we are all, because of how God designed us, looking for love and acceptance in the world around us. And we're looking for it from the people that are in the world around us because the Bible teaches God created us out of relationship, right? God said, let us make man in our image. And so out of the Trinity, God created man. And so he created us for relationships. And since we have this innate design to be in community with one another and then ultimately with God, there's a longing inside of every single one of us to be valued and to be loved and to be accepted. And so we're constantly assessing the world around us in our relationships with that question, what do I have to do to be valued? 
I mean, the question, how do I fit in, is just a, 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 another way of asking the question, what do I have to do to be valued, to be loved, to be accepted? And in our fallen world, the fallen world answers that question with laws of conformity to social systems, standards, of, and codes of conduct in order for us to be accepted. I mean, look at youth culture. It's been this way since I was there, peer pressure and everything else that is there, where in youth culture, pop culture, you you see clothing and you see language and attitudes and actions and activities that somehow seem to provide this clear uh, demarcation of who's in and who's out, who belongs and who doesn't. And now with, with the, the arrival of social media and as it is expanding, you're seeing the platform of the popular kids leave school and just in, invade the culture. And now we have something called social media influencers. People who are literally making millions of dollars a year influencing the world around them through their social media platforms. And it's now on social media that following the right person or behaving the right way or presenting yourself the right way or being even on the right social media platform results in an immediate feedback loop of your acceptance and your value. Because when you do the right things, you behave the right way and you're in front of the right people, you immediately get what? Likes and follows and shares and all of these different things. And so we get this immediate feedback loop of whether or not the world thinks I'm valuable. We can look at Gen Z and millennials all day long on this, but the truth of the matter is we learned it from somewhere, folks. It didn't come out of a vacuum. We learned it from our parents and baby boomers and everything else because I can still remember the nasally voice of Robin Leach blessing his audience with champagne wishes and caviar dreams on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous back in the 80s and the 90s. And the truth of the matter is, beyond just wealth and material possessions, there's an entire social system that is fueled by social pressure on adults as well to conform to certain behavior patterns, political positions, educational standards, or even parenting practices. We are all under some level of social pressure and our adherence to these norms that seems to be established by the people who are influential or pillars in the society around us, that is what proves to us our acceptance or our, our place in the society around us. The natural question from this then is if this is the way the world works and the world was designed by God, then is that the way that God works? If I'm accepted based upon my conformity to certain behaviors, practices, patterns, etc. in the world around me, is that then how God responds to me? In the book that I have challenged each family to read through together, Gentle and Lowly, on page 23, Dane Ortland says this, and I think that this is the problem in so many of our lives. We tend to project onto Jesus our skewed instincts about how the world works. We live our lives and we see that we can only be accepted by the popular people if we do what the popular people are doing, or the prominent, or the powerful, or the educated, or whatever else. And if we conform, then we're accepted. Therefore, God must function the same way. And so the question becomes, what must I do to be accepted by God? And if you would just give me a list of things that I have to do to be accepted by God, we think that that's an easy way. 
We assume that if I just had the list of all the things that I need to do to make God happy with me, then I'm golden. So if I just knew the standards, then everything would be better. But in Scripture, we find that that's not actually the way that God interacts with us. And the book of Galatians is one big answer to that question, what must I do, not merely to be saved, but to be accepted by God, to be loved by God, to be valued by God. And so we're right here at the beginning of Galatians. Galatians is only six chapters long, and so we're going to do something that I've never done in the four and a half years that I've been here. We're going to read the whole book. And so we're going to read all six chapters of the book of Galatians. It's not going to be on the screen because I don't want you tracking along or even I understand you've got your Bibles and it's there. I'll refer to that. But I want you to hear, I want us to hear this message from Paul just like that original audience would have. They wouldn't have had verses and chapters and everything else. They would have heard this in one sitting from their pastor or representative who was reading from Paul. So as a giant exercise of Christianity and a faith and and understanding Scripture, I want us to hear all that Paul had to say in one go and in one sitting. Okay? So hear the words of Paul in his letter to the Galatians. Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of God or of man? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my father's. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. 
Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing we were eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Before certain, Gentile, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who now lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Consider Abraham, who believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it was those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for, quote, the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, quote, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. 
the law, which came 430 years after, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They may make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, from whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed over you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may inter be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. 
Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? It says, cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slaves, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ is of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that, he will take, that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? Is that, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed? I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. 
But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, as we surrender ourselves to the truth of your word, I pray that you would lead us in the way that brings you glory and honor, that humbles our hearts, that exposes the lies that we hide inside of ourselves. And instead, Father God, may we experience the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ and full acceptance and surrender and yielding to the truth of the gospel. Because it's the gospel that leads us to Christ. And it's Christ who sets us free. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. And amen. The goal of this morning is essentially to sketch a broad picture of the book of Galatians for you. So we're not going to dive into detail. That's the purpose of where we're going next. To hear this passage of Scripture, to hear this book, because it is a beautiful book. And it's one that God has been really using to work on my heart over the last several months. Galatians is most likely the very first letter that we have that Paul wrote. It's most likely the oldest uh, document from the New Testament. It fits, we think, somewhere between about Acts uh, 13 and 14 and Acts 15. Because when Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey, we find in Acts 13 and 14 that they visited some cities, Lystra and Derbe. These are cities in the region that were known as Galatia. And so on Paul's first missionary journey, he went into these cities and he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ and he planted churches. When he left those cities, though, some people apparently followed in behind him and they began to add to the message that, Jesus, or that Paul proclaimed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul has heard about that, that, that creeping in of what he calls a false gospel into the churches that he planted, and his response is indignation. He is angry at these people who would mislead the churches and the Christians that he had discipled and he had left there. He is, he is mind is, is boggled and blown that the people that he personally discipled would turn away from the heart and the true message that he preached to them probably no less than, or probably sometime less than two, within two years. He hadn't been gone from Galatia 18 to 24 months when he gets this account, and so he hastily writes this letter, and you can see a lot of Paul's heart in this letter. You see his, his frustration with the baby Christians in Galatia, that he had poured so much of himself in, that he had a personal relationship with. You see that in Galatians 4 and 5, where they loved him even as Jesus Christ himself. And he's angry with these people who are coming in and who are not merely watering down the gospel, but instead are adding to the gospel, which Paul says results in no gospel whatsoever. And so he is writing to condemn them, to encourage the, the Christians that uh, he, had, he had led to faith in Christ and who were being discipled there to return to the true gospel and believe in Jesus Christ. 
And so Paul is answering the question because it seems to be that the people who have come in, what they're adding to this is that these are potentially Jewish Christians who have come into a Gentile world and who are advocating for some type of message that says, hey, listen, Christianity, Jesus Christ was a Jew. He was the Jewish Messiah. He was the promise to the people of God, of the Old Testament people of God. If you want to be recipients of all of his benefits and, all, uh, and you want to see him as your Messiah, you have to first become a member of the people that he came to save. And so if you want to be a Christian, you have to be a Jew first. And so you have to be circumcised, just like Abraham was circumcised, because that was the, the, the covenantal picture and, and obedience to be a part of the covenantal people, you had to be circumcised. And you have to adhere to the Jewish calendar. And you have to uh, adhere to certain Jewish behaviors. And what is happening then, as they're bringing this in, is it is breaking down the unity of the Galatian churches. And so you're seeing uh, people that had one time been uni unified and free in the gospel of Jesus Christ who are now suspicious of one another and their relationships are breaking down. And they're asking the question, what, okay, if, what do I have to do to be loved and valued and accepted by God, the Jewish Christians, the Judaizers, are saying, well, you have to follow all of the Old Testament laws in order to be fully accepted by God, plus believe in Jesus. It's Jesus plus something. And Paul is writing back, no, that's not true. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus did everything necessary for your salvation. Jesus did everything necessary not only for your salvation, but for your full acceptance by God such that you are now not even slaves, you're not, you're, you're not servants in God's family, you are actually sons and heirs with Jesus Christ. So painting kind of a, a broad picture of what is going on in Galatians, just very briefly, um, the, the chapter breakdown in the Bible oftentimes doesn't always follow really great, but the, the six chapters of Galatians actually kind of um, fairly uh, well divide the letter into three major sections. In chapters 1 and 2, what we find Paul doing is Paul defends the authority of his gospel. Paul is adamantly defending the authority behind the message that he came into Galatia proclaiming. That it is not man's gospel. And Paul defends the authority behind the message that he proclaimed, first off, with his own testimony of transformation. Second, with the fact that he came to those who seemed to be pillars within the church, and he presented them with the message that he had received by revelation from Jesus Christ, and they added nothing to him. And then he took that message, and the authority of that message is what allowed him to exercise authority over Peter himself. That Peter didn't have to yield to Paul, Peter had to yield to the message that Paul was proclaiming because his life was out of step with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These people who had come in, these Judaizers, were somehow attacking Paul's ministry, declaring that Paul had watered down the true message of the Jerusalem church. Are you familiar with the seeker-sensitive movement in the church over the last two or three decades? People who are wanting to, to reach the culture, and so in reaching the culture, they, are, they preach to felt needs and to other um, um, ideologies to draw people in. The problem with that is, the, the good thing about that is it, it does draw a lot of attention from the world. The problem with that is that it oftentimes waters down the gospel. And so what these Judaizers are apparently proclaiming is that Paul has left out all of the rigorous rule following of being a Jew so that he can make the gospel more appealing to the Gentiles. 
And that Paul has watered down the gospel and he has left out this crucial component that the Jerusalem church advocated. And Paul writes to say, that ain't true. That that's not what the Jerusalem church teaches at all. But instead, Paul comes in and boldly proclaims his authority is God's authority because his message is not his own, it's God's. I don't know about you, but it's hard to argue with God. And so Paul is defending the authority of his message. And in your life and in my life, why did I spend 15 minutes, and it only took about 15 minutes to read all of these chapters, so that means that you can spend some time week over week as we're working through this book together. You can spare 15 minutes a week to reread and reread the book of Galatians. Why did I spend 15 minutes reading the book? Because what is in that book, those words are infinitely more important than anything you will hear out of my mouth, my mind, or from the commentaries that I study at any point between now and the end of the year, ever, period. The question is not, what does man say? The question is, what does God say? And so Paul spent some time articulating that this is God's word, God's message, and that is the ultimate authority. And that's the authority in your life and in my life. So where this book is, a declarer, where this book is declared faithfully and well, that is God speaking into our lives, and so we must conform to it and not force it to conform to us. Chapters 3 and chapters 4, Paul moves on from defending the authority of his gospel to defining the content of his gospel. There's where we see him debating between, with these um, Judaizers, his opponents. Now, be, to be clear, Paul is not concerned with presenting a fair representation of his opponents. Okay? It is a total caricaturization of what they are teaching. But Paul is doing so to make a point to bring clear the content of the message that he is preaching. And it is in chapters 3 and chapters 4 that we find this debate back and forth between what is it that justifies us. Are we justified, declared righteous by God, accepted as righteous in his presence because of the things that we do or because of who we know and believe in, Jesus Christ? And so that is where you'll find, we'll see that the, the terms law, faith, justified, those three terms show up all throughout chapters 3 and chapters 4, and Paul declares that we are heirs of the promise that God gave all the way back in Genesis chapter 15 by faith and not by adherence to a law, not by a record that we keep of things that we do, but instead because of what has been done for us by Jesus Christ. And the result then is that we are no longer our own, we belong to God. We've died to ourselves. If we've died to ourselves, how is it that we can be the ones who save us? How is it that we can be the ones who keep us saved or that set us apart and sanctify us in the Holy Spirit? No, we've died to ourselves and Christ now lives in me and therefore with Christ living in me by the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit, I am given a whole new nature and a whole new name. And so that's where Paul concludes in chapter 4 is he declares that we are heirs alongside Jesus Christ, sons of God, given an entirely new nature where we're no longer enslaved to our sin, but instead we are free. We're free in Jesus Christ, and so we can stand firm against sin and stand firm against ourselves that constantly tries to creep in, and we can trust completely in God. Paul then moves to the end where Paul describes in chapters 5 and 6 the value of his gospel. If you're trying to convince someone that your viewpoint is right, eventually you're going to have to convince them that if they follow your, your message, then guess what? Your, their life is going to somehow be better than if they didn't. 
And what, Paul, what we see there is Paul brings Peter out as an example that says, listen, when you start trying to rely upon the things that you do, upon laws and upon behavior patterns and beyond, be about social codes or anything like that, guess what happens? You start separating yourselves from the people who don't do the same things. And so a unified church becomes a divided church over silly things that have nothing to do with the gospel. And that's what was happening with Peter as Peter was fellowshipping with Gentile Christians and then all of a sudden his buddies from Jerusalem show up and he feels kind of the social pressure that they're not comfortable with what he's doing and so what does he do? He pulls back from fellowshipping with them. That leaves them now shamed. Are we doing this right? Are we missing something? Why would Peter not want anything to do with us? And that happens and expands within the body. And so Paul says, you have been set free for something. You've been set free to be able to love. That the evidence, the fruit, the results, the profit, the benefit of his gospel, which is the gospel, is love. It results not in division, but it results in unity. It results in bearing one another's burdens. It results in walking with, being empowered by the Holy Spirit himself. There's a lot of damage that's done in our lives by attempting to conform to social norms. I wanted the approval of my friends, so I begged my parents to make a stupid purchase that didn't reflect my character at all. I couldn't skateboard. I can't skateboard today. If I did right now, somebody would make $100,000 on America's Funniest Home Videos if I tried to step on one. It wasn't a reflection of who I was, and it left me more self-conscious than before. Look what's happening to our little girls, our daughters, and our high schoolers who are attempting to conform to a social world's picture of what is perfection. And the damage that they do to their body, the damage that they do to their minds, as they try to fit inside some box that the world says they're supposed to, to match and measure up to. They're vying for affection. Think about all of the stupid purchases that you've made throughout the years because you wanted to keep up with the Joneses. When we attempt to fix our brokenness by conforming to the social patterns of the world instead of by expanding our acceptance and our love and our value in a God who has done everything for you, and putting your faith and your trust in the good news, that's what gospel means, the good news that all of it is done on your behalf. Bought and paid for and done, it is finished, tetelestai, paid in full. So why try so hard? God has done everything that is necessary for you. He loves you, he values you, his love is full all of the time for you. So be free in what he has done for you, and that freedom doesn't result in, now I get to do whatever I want. That freedom becomes, I get to love God and say no to myself and no to my sin, and I get to live in love with this God in front of the entire world and lead them to love him too. Full confidence, fully confident in what he's done for me. That's the message of Galatians. Have faith in God. He's on the throne. He's done everything that is necessary for you. And he loves you and accepts you in Christ. And if you are in Christ, 
you've died to yourself, been crucified with Christ, it's no longer you who live anyway. It's him who lives in you. So live in relationship with him. Surrender to him for his glory. If you're not in Christ today, then Paul says at the end, he says there's consequence to living in the flesh, and that living in the flesh is an eternal separation away from God, not fellowship with him, not freedom by him. You are living under a weight that you will never have the power or the strength to get off of your shoulders. The thing to do is lay it down, to let go, and to turn to Jesus Christ, who's borne it all for you, and whose yoke is easy and his burden is life. It's like, it's, like, it's like Dane Ortland says in this book, the yoke of Jesus Christ is like a life preserver tossed to a drowning person. That drowning person, who would ever say is drowning that somebody throws them a life preserver and says, no, I can't, be, I can't be burdened with that right now. I'm drowning here. That's the yoke of Jesus Christ. It's the life preserver thrown to you right now in your struggle for acceptance and value and love. And it is what will lift you out of your struggle and your insecurity and your guilt and your shame and your sheer exhaustion trying to make God happy. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus today. Would you go before the Lord? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And would you spend a moment in his presence, in prayer, asking that he would prepare your heart for what we have ahead, but right here and right now, ask him to reveal to you the ways that you are trusting in something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, the ways that you are trying to please the world around you with your own strength and your own power, your own creativity, your own conformity, to what isn't of eternal significance, and instead, ask him for his grace and his mercy for you now. Take a moment to pray, and I'll close this in a moment.